this is Deckard Kane, and you're listening to For the Lore. listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from WoW Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lord, there's Roger coming to you on March the 8th for our 25th episode, blah, 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 quarter century, blah, blah, who knows what great things we'll do, all the crap that you heard last episode, though in my defense, I am not the only one last episode that failed at math, apparently you all did, so I'm in good company, um, with me same as usual, Joe, as well as Enrique, how's it going boys? Can't complain, everything is looking good. It, is it looking good or it is good or just how good is it looking is what I want to know. Because the, none of that other stuff is going to be in the podcast until maybe the outtakes. So it'd be handy <laughs> to let folks know why you're in such a good mood. Evidence for later. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at I'm having a very good weekend. Unexpected things are good. All right. Well, then, everybody listening, unless you're listening live, you will have to wait until the outtakes to see, because you're damn right those are going in the outtakes. So, (laughs) we talked about um, Storm Rage a little bit last week, and this week uh, we're going to have the feature. We are going to have the feature from Rick to put in at the end of the episode. Um, Storm Rage has actually been doing fairly well. It's actually on the bestseller list now as well. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but is does is it one of those that doesn't surprise you because of the IP, because it's wow, and there are that many readers now, or because of the actual novel? I honestly, I I think it's because of the context. It's it's a book that bridges the gap between this expansion and the one that's coming out now. So as soon as word got out in that regard, I think that a lot more people who were not going to pick it up went ahead and picked it up. Now, Joe, did you actually start reading it yet? No, I actually haven't obtained the book as of yet. That's going to be probably next week, Monday. Yeah, I've got it on my list as well. Actually, I almost ordered it from Amazon, but I held off because I still have to pick up the Arthas book. But I've been reading The Calling um, by David Gator, the second book for the the Dragon Age series. And you can really tell how he came into his own in that second book. He was much more comfortable with the setting, with the characters. He'd already established the characters, so it was much easier to progress with them because they'd already been fleshed out. And yet his style of being able to flesh out characters so well shows through in that one with the new characters. Uh, And being able to see Duncan Young when your first introduction to him in the game is when he is older, wiser, um, probably the, you would assume to to be the wisest of the Grey Wardens and everything, and to see him young and that attitude and everything when he's young, so far, I'm, I'm not that, that far into it yet, but I'm 
absolutely loving it. I was thoroughly impressed with that book. I really can't express how happy that book really made me. Um, the way that the writing was done, the way that the characters were introduced and all the little plot hooks that were um, kind of just thrown in there too uh, are absolutely amazing. And you said you're not that far in, so I don't want to ruin anything. But after you get about the halfway point of the book, you start seeing exactly how much of this he had already pre-planned with the game. And that's really the awesome part. You see how the two really go together really well. Yeah, see, and that's exactly what I'm looking forward to. I, I would like to finish it before the expansion comes out because that is right around the corner for us right now, too. Oh, yeah, and I cannot, uh, I can't wait for can't it. Wait. I really can't. And then speaking of expansions, well, before we get into the uh, the DLC for Mass Effect 2, Rick, you did manage to finish Mass Effect 2, and your thoughts on it? I finished it twice, to be honest with you. That's part of my insomnia, but... um. That, that's a totally different thing. The game, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you flat out. The game is quite possibly one of the best games I've ever played. And there's only three things that totally fucking ruin the experience for me every time. The goddamn loading screens, which makes me kind of worried. <laughs> because it's like, could you imagine Could could you imagine this as an MMO? You, you mount on a freaking vehicle or, or, or a horse or some shit, and you got to go through a two-minute loading screen. You go into a different zone. It's a loading screen. You go into a, 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 fr- a flight path. It's a loading screen. You pick up an item. It's a loading screen. You die. You get a loading screen. You resurrect. You get a loading screen. It's Yes, and I installed it onto the Xbox hard drive. I, I'm not playing it off the disc because I don't want to get a fucking red ring from you know burning out a, on the, the whatever the hell. But um, it just takes forever and a hell. It takes too goddamn time, too long to load. You know, yeah, I'm gonna. The, the game should be called Mass Effect Loading. Your mass loading screens, or whatever the hell. Anyway, um, second okay, well, thing. Hold on, hold on now. I didn't get any. I, I got loading screens for for uh, on the PC, but like they really did not last long at all. And they well, were the PC- and and and, and, and taking into consideration the. Elevator loading screens from Mass Effect <laughs> One. This was a cakewalk. This was like I don't mind these at all. Instead of looking like a dork standing in an elevator with a Krogan <laughs> and Tali, you know, like this is I didn't mind it at all. I don't know if it's different for the 360 that the loading screens were that much longer. For the PC, I have heard from damn near every single person that I've asked who has played both um, that the loading screens are much, much, much shorter on the PC. As far as a point of reference, you know, with um, with uh, what's it called, with Mass Effect One and the loading screens therein, with the elevator one, I never played it. So I mean, to me, this is the longest loading screen. I guess by comparison, yeah, a really long one from Mass Effect One. This is you know a godsend, but that doesn't change the general picture. It's still a pain in the ass. But whatever, I, I can get over it. It's just, it's frustrating if, um, because I'm playing on hardcore mode uh, the third time around now, and I'm getting the fucking shit torn out of me every two seconds. So it sucks that maybe I'll get 45 minutes of play time, and I'll spend 10 to 15 of those 45 minutes just fucking loading, and then having to maybe, you know, come back from when I got killed by a goddamn heavy mech, but whatever. Hmm. Uh, the second thing is mining. <laughs> yeah. What <laughs> asshole thought that it was? This is a fun little meta game within the game. Let me have you mine goddamn planets. I have hollowed out every single planet in the goddamn game into nothing but a shallow husk. All right. I have so many goddamn materials, and it's just it. It's horrible. It's it's goddamn horrible, and it's totally random. Like I'll, I'll pass over yeah. a spot where there's a high spike. 
and then I'll move off and I'll come back to that exact spot. The spike's gone. The minerals magically move to different parts. They do. They do. And that's what makes it more of a pain in the ass and makes it take that much longer as well. Even if you upgrade your, your probing skills, which, oh man, we're not going there. But, um, <laughs> like, I mean, it really takes forever and it's a pain in the ass. Uh, well, you heard me bitch about it a couple of episodes back. That's See, I didn't have a problem with the loading screens at all. And again, coming from Mass Effect 1 Elevator Hell... I really did not mind in the least. In fact, I, I thought the, the the loading screens looked cool. They didn't last long. It was like, cool, all right. Um, but um, the only problem I really had was the goddamn probes. And, and seriously, I know that uh, people may disagree with me, but if I have to hear six say once more, probe away, that's oh, it just stop. <laughs> I don't care if you're six. Probe okay, launched. I just no probe, probe launch, away. probe away, probe away. Shut <laughs> up! Just stop with the probes. I know I launched it. I can see it going. I just I, I don't know. I mean, it, honestly, the game is phenomenal in so many. It's a ninety-seven percent of the game is fucking made of pure ultimate perfection. Three percent, one of which is goddamn probing. You know, the other percent is uh, the loading screen issues. At least I'm having. I don't. I obviously people on PC aren't having that problem, but um, the third one, which is I can't even say it's a complaint. It's just I wanted to know. Maybe you guys could help me. How the hell do you skip cutscenes? I'm not talking about text where you can just press X or whatever the hell to to skip through the voice acting or whatnot for things that just drone out and on or that have you seen multiple times. I'm talking about you start the new game. And you got to go through, you know, eight minutes of cinematic and whatnot before you can actually start playing again. And it's like, this is the third time I play through computer. Why do I have to see it again a third time? It's, you know, it sucks. I don't know. I don't know. I actually actually. have not done it. Sam seems to think that it's select button. I've I've tried this like the, yeah you know there actually is I tried it because it says it in one of the loading screens you play the time to read it it um it gives you the tip it goes you know press this button and it's a select button to be able to get past um the like cinematics or whatnot and I mean it's a stupid complaint I know but I mean every single game out there you can press spacebar or escape or start or whatever the hell and get through the cinematic if you don't want to see it. You know, it's, it's, it's just a mild thing. It has nothing to do with the actual game quality. It's just an irk. Yeah, I don't know about the actual cinematics. I know you can skip through different, like, conversations kind of thing on the PC. You can skip through it pretty fast. So if you've done it already, it's very easy to just kind of skip through a sequence. Um, but I'm I, to be honest, I don't know. I see I only played through um, the second once and then what i've been doing is i've been playing the first one again and i've been playing the first one in two separate saves on two different computers i've got one where it's strictly paragon and one that's strictly renegade so once i finish those i'll be importing them into two at that point to kind of play through but uh for now i i i didn't play two again so i haven't tried skipping through anything you know i i tried i tried going the second time around as a renegade because the first time around went pure paragon i thought you know this really suits me as a player's personality. I like this. I tried going Renegade, and it's just, it was a real turnoff. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I tried to kind of just grin and bear it and get through doing all the Renegade stuff, but it was just a pain in the ass. I mean, yeah, it was funny, and it was fun to, you know, talk shit to people left and right, but, you know, constantly pissing off every single person that you are worried later on to get loyalty for is 
goddamn nerve-wracking, so I actually restarted <laughs> that save. I was like, I was telling Tali, Tali, you can kiss my ass, and I'm thinking, shit, dude, in about four hours, I'm going to want to kill myself for telling her that. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. I, I killed Zaid just because he was being a dick. So, <laughs> see, I, I again, I haven't done it in two yet, but in one, I've been when I'm doing the strictly renegade, I'm seeing a lot more interesting scenes than the strictly paragon. I'm seeing stuff that is really, really tense, really like the the relationships are stressed so badly. Um, and yet it but it's it's interesting i mean it's just a game it's not you being a dick it's just a game um but yeah it is very very interesting some of the the interactions that you have with people when you are always just an asshole um but that being said again I, my plan is once i get to two i can't be mean to tally though i'm, I'm i'll be mean to everybody else but i'm still gonna be nice to tally because you got to she's so nice hey um and, and who did you guys Roger. you guys had uh, romances with who again I did a tally, which is what I complained yeah, about because here. you don't see anything. But I, I did enough with Jack that it was right to the point where something could have happened if I wasn't with Tally kind of thing. So I got a lot of insight into the background with Jack, which was very, very interesting because it's very deep, like you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I picked Jack as the a, as a romance pretty much both times. It's just awesome fucking story, awesome character. Like all the other characters seem a little bit... You know, they, they just don't seem as deep as, you know, Jack's character. It's really, really realistic, you know, with some of the shit that uh, that gets brought to light. Yeah. And, and that's I'm going to be doing a little bit more of that, too. in in my uh, um, probably my Paragon, I'll, I'll choose her in that case. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I, I was just going to say, I was just really surprised with the amount of story that all of them get. Um, I actually didn't do Jack, but I did. Uh, my Paragon was Miranda. And uh, that was rather interesting since he's the uh, the eternal loyalist. Um, but honestly, Tali, I, I, while I was disappointed, the entire lead up to it, I think, was still worth it. Everything that I got out of it. And I kind of want to do a third uh, a third playthrough just so I can try Jack. See, I, I know it sounds bad that I'm trying to try things out with these women in the game, but um, there's just people don't realize exactly how much Bioware really puts in their social interactions between just party members in general. Um, and Mass Effect 2 is a perfect example uh, of how that's done and done well. Yeah, I I I really enjoyed the the lead up to Tally. I was disappointed at the end, but even then, having gone just far enough with Jack, just a prior to when something could happen, um, the story with Jack was far deeper than the one with Tally. I the 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 layers of that character are unbelievable just because of everything that she's been through. So yeah, very cool. Um, Moving on from there, though, we're looking at getting our DLC for um, Mass Effect yes. 2, the Hammerhead, very, very Yo, soon. Yes. There is a video that's out. I'm actually going to post a link in the show notes so that everybody can see it if they did not, where they show the Hammerhead quite a bit. They talk to the good doctors from Bioware as well to get some information about future um, DLC work as well as expansions. They even touch on Dragon Age as well. It's interesting to hear them talking about the different teams that they have working for both IP, both franchise and how much they've got planned as well. And what they they didn't confirm anything, but there was the rumor the way they were talking and hinting about the um, Space uh, Combat? No, the Mass Effect 3 potentially coming out sooner than we would think. They were talking about the uh, something coming out next year, and they didn't 
point blank say that it wouldn't be three. So very, very cool. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, the the hammerhead footage is the, the hammerhead footage was fucking awesome. Okay, for one. And it's just Dude they, they could do so much with this game, man. They can do so much. To me, the hammerhead says, We are so sorry for the buggy in the first game. Please have a vehicle that doesn't suck eternal balls and enjoy. Because the first, I don't, the Rick, you never got to experience uh the Vaco. The, the Mako, but the Mako was just horrible. Ugh. So it was it was an exercise in frustration. Like a video game has not made me want to put my con- controller through my TV like that in such a long time. And I mean, the Mako was horrible. Now the Hammerhead is just. I'm looking at. It, I'm just like, thank you, thank you so much <laughs> for realizing that your first vehicle sucked so much ass and putting in something that doesn't suck. I kind of don't want to play Mass Effect 1 now because everybody keeps telling me, like, <laughs> the combat was a pain in the ass, the Mako was fucking broken, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just I'm just going to go read the wiki to find out what happened the last time around because I know what's happening now. <laughs> it you wasn't know? that bad. In all honesty, I, I did not hate it quite as much as everybody else, um, and nor did I have as much problem with the combat as well. I changed some of the, um, the key bindings to match uh, Mass Effect 2 in so much as you, you can and like, yeah. I really have not been having I mean it's not the same it's not as fluid by any means but it's certainly still enjoyable and it's still fantastic and again it depends highly on what class you pick as well so I'm doing both Infiltrator and Vanguards depending uh, for, for my Renegades and my, my Paragon respectively and I'm not having any problems really I, I'm not bitching about the, the combat at all and again it's 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 one of those games that I'm saying it's worth playing one mm. without a doubt worth playing it and and then from there I can't wait to see the difference that will occur when I import that character into two as well so yeah I it's is in my my opinion is definitely worth doing moving on from there staying with Bioware however they uh, they had a nice dev blog entry for Star Wars the Old Republic on the Jedi counselors um very cool stuff like the the i haven't been really um as hyped about them as i have about the um the empire right empire republic yeah empire what mm-hmm. yeah okay republic um, yeah, I have. I've been more <laughs> leaning. I, I've said it before. I'm not a Star Wars fanatic, but and it's not counselor. It's counselor. Um, but um, it's interesting to see how they're talking about the class as well, and they're planning on giving it as much depth as they are the um, the Sith classes as well, where they're kind of bordering that line between good and evil and i would assume again seeing as how like everything we just said about mass effect 2 everything we've said about dragon age how much uh, they they do in terms of your choices having an impact in where the story goes from there i'm very interested to see then these jedi counselors what's going to happen if you do stray a little too close to the darkness kind of thing um and then how that will impact the game from then on 
in in I think that's really the hot topic for this game more than anything else. I mean, e- even if you're not a Star Wars nerd and you're not a uh, a guy who's foaming at the mouth with his lightsaber in line waiting for the game to be released, uh, the game is introducing something very important, and and the Jedi's and the Sith embody that to its its fullest. The game is letting you switch between light and dark sides. So what happens? And I think that's counselors are great great subject to take a look at that um the counsel the counselor is a, the walker the balance the balance between them has to know enough about the dark side not to go completely bat nuts crazy and has to maintain enough of the the, the light side to you know keep the balance and make sure that they still do something good and, and keep the force from going one way or the other um and it's it's interesting to see that they're putting a class that Essentially, their main goal is to ride the line Um, when they're making a big deal about how a Sith can be redeemed and they're making a big deal about how a Jedi can fall from grace and switch from the the light to the dark side. It'll be interesting to see the quests and the interaction that a character that has to walk the line between the two gets, especially from a story perspective, too. I mean, think of the quests that you can get um, from just both sides. I mean, you're not going to get full out assassination of like, you know, uh, senators or some shit like that. But I mean, still. Uh, it opens up so many different doorways for unique character development and gameplay. Well, what I'm seeing a lot more as well is not going to be what you're talking about, but also, uh, again, and we've seen it due to everything that they're doing with the other games. What I'm seeing is incredible quest opportunities where if if the people, if the writers there are given the opportunity to go down every path and say, and just that, you've okay, you've got this Jedi Counselor that's now evil. You now have to furnish this type of player with quests that are going to really interest them. Like, if they're and, and because it's an MMO and they can continually keep tossing in quests to, to really... Um, to have you feel fulfilled based on whatever choice it is that you are making, which again, going down the path, let's say of the evil Jedi counselor that you can have every opportunity to not just be presented with the quest that say the same person who's a Jedi counselor who would have chosen good all along kind of thing, but point blank. Now you're dealing with a shadier group of people. Now you're dealing with a lot of other things and perhaps even opportunities to deal with higher ups within the opposite faction and stuff like that. Like that to me is from a writing standpoint, just absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. It's in that, that you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the best way you, you phrase it probably better than I could have. It just, it's so much opportunity. It opens up so much. And yeah. I think that's one of the things I'm looking forward to most in it, especially because it is an MMO and there is no end point like there is with Dragon Age or Mass Effect. It ends at some point. There is an end point. Um, it, you know what I mean? Like there, there is a there's an end to the story, so to speak, whereas Star Wars, not so much. Yeah. Well, it's again, I keep thinking about it in terms of I, I keep trying to apply different um, game mechanics to it that are, say, in WoW and in terms of being continually able to progress a story forward the same way as they've done in WoW. Um, and then think about it in terms of, OK, well, holy crap. Well, what can we expect then? And if they're going to be tossing out patches and things like that continually, which based on what we've seen with DLC for the other games, we can expect expect quite a few content patches to keep cropping up like what they'll be able to do with the the game and to offer you know by then they'll have 
watch the player base enough to see where people are going that they'll be able to tell, okay, well, most people will be interested in this kind of stuff and whatnot and start writing quests along that. Start working on that. So, yeah, no, I... I can't. I can't wait for this goddamn game to come out. <laughs> Moving on from there, though, we're going to talk uh, about what I think is probably the biggest news of the week, and that is Portal Two. Yes. Oh, dudes! Now the Valve announced, and this I'm thrilled about. They're finally going to support Max. God damn it, they're supporting Max. So you're going to be able to get Steam as well as the Source Engine on the Mac. So you're going to be able to play Left 4 Dead. You're going to be able to play Team Fortress. You're going to be able to play Counter-Strike and Portal and Half-Life on the Mac. Plus, they're going to be putting them out simultaneously and you buy one, you got them both. So Portal yep. 2 is going to be the first one to come out that's going to be released simultaneously. And I get, oh, 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 that just made me so happy. So happy. I think Roger needs new pants right about now. Oh, but yeah, no, I'm, what that means is that I don't need boot camp quite as much. God damn it. Yes. So if everybody can follow suit, I will not need boot camp because the reason I bought a Mac was not to install Windows on it. So this here to me represents the end of the argument that Macs are not for gaming because if they're going to be putting out these heavy games and portal 2 please there you go it is now a gaming machine oh yeah oh yeah i i, I definitely agree and i mean that was a huge announcement especially for me i have my macbook pro it is my travel machine when i go you know to conventions or when i'm traveling visiting family or whatever the case is i bring it with me and i irritated that i can't do things like you know play the games that I purchased on my PC through Steam. Now I'm not going to have to care because if I buy it for one, it counts for both. Fuck yeah. Also, Portal 2 being the first game supported, that is absolutely awesome. And you you know, both of you guys know how excited I've been about the Portal 2 uh, yeah. announcement and the information. I mean, I've been sending you guys links for the last week about all the shit they've been doing for it. And I've just been going crazy waiting for this game. And I really, 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 really can't wait to be able to load up my Mac and say, oh, look, Portal, I'll be back in an hour, you know, and, and be able to do that when I'm traveling and everything else. And it's just, it's nice. It's nice to be able to switch between the two computers uh, without having to, you know, boot into boot camp, load windows, make sure the windows copy is valid, make sure it's cracked or whatever the ca case is, you know? So it's, it, to me, it's, it's, it is, it is the end of the argument, which one is better uh, Mac or PC for gaming because now, now there's, there's case in point. You can do both. doesn't matter. Well, there's something I wanted to discuss with you guys. It's kind of been um, it's it's not so much about the the Mac issue or, or PC issue, but um, with Portal Two, it's been like a really heated argument between my friends that are saying, Valve, please don't change Portal. Don't add all the stupid crap like multiplayer and blah 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 blah. Trying to be like all these other games, and I. I think having multiplayer in a portal type game would be fucking phenomenal as in cooperative multiplayer, having two people playing the game, you know, like, you know, like the old one player, two player kind of thing. I think that would be fucking awesome for this game. Well, it has such a unique mechanic too. I mean, the portal gun itself is absolutely fucking amazing and adding that to a multiplayer that's just going to be fun. Opening up portals, throwing bombs through, uh, getting uh, physics jumps and mass jumps going on with like companion cubes. That's just going to be a whole bunch of fun. A whole bunch of fun with your friends. I, I think, think that it would. Uh, 
it would depend on how they do it too though because i mean there's it, it would be depending on how they do it with the um the portal gun kind of thing and whether or not everybody would have access to it and things like that it would make it uh, a whole new dynamic like a, it would really add a, a whole separate layer to your traditional first person shooter kind of Team Fortress kind of thing, where all of a sudden now people aren't restricted by their environment nearly as much. So yeah, I I actually this is one of the few that I I actually think would really benefit from such a thing if done properly. I don't know. I just think it would be yeah, it'd be cool. Absolutely. Could, could you imagine getting like you know two or three, maybe even four people to make just a giant ride just like a huge portal mess maze kind of thing where you jump through one and you get accelerated to like a million miles per hour flying all over the fucking place through all the different portals that are opened up <laughs> i don't know, I just well, i can just, imagine that man that'd be, that'd be cool <laughs> as shit <laughs> there's just so many cool things you can do with it is really the bottom line and it, I, I i don't know i'm just i'm excited for the fact that not only will I be able to play it on my Mac, but I can go to a LAN party and play it with my my friends multiplayer uh, without having to lug a big case around like old school LAN party style. So I'm excited about that, too. And I can't wait. I honestly can't wait for multiplayer. I've been playing multiplayer on Bioshock 2, and I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see how they do it for Portal. Let, let, let's put a bet right now that we're going to get to see a tidbit or a hint of either Half-Life 3 or Half-Life 2 Episode 3, finally finishing it all off somewhere at the end or pre yeah, somewhere at the end of Portal 2. Yeah, well, that's what they've well, already hinted about as well, too. Yeah. Oh. Okay, have you guys, do you, have you looked at, uh, is it okay if I talk about the, the campaign that they've been doing with the updates to the yeah, original yeah, Portal yeah, real yeah. quick? Yes, I was, yeah, I was thinking you would. Okay, what they've been doing is they've been adding updates after all this time to the first Portal game. And the first Portal game has been getting updates with little, like, chatterboxes, recording stuffs, where you bring them to different parts of the stage and it gives you Morse code. The Morse code translates to an IP mm -hmm. address, which allows you to con connect to GLaDOS 3.11 uh, through DOS prompt or command prompt. What you get is a series of ASCII images. Uh, this includes robots holding hands with face huggers. Okay, first hint of... Uh, the cross between the two. Um, you get new companion cubes. You get all sorts of new weird imagery. And if you do, if you guys do a Google search for it, you can find these pictures anywhere. Just search Portal ASCII. Um, and they've been doing the, this. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, Joe. Right. Excellent. Put them in the show notes. Awesome. So visit the show notes, guys, and click the link because you're going to be absolutely bawling. You're going to be laughing so hard at some of these pictures. They're just absolutely off the wall. But it comes at a point right before they announced. Um, right before they announced Portal 2. Um, also, the the other thing that's kind of uh, odd for everybody, we might not have to wait very long for a Half-Life 3 announcement. The big speculation right now is that GLaDOS 3.11 refers to March 11, 3.11, which is where Gabe uh, will be receiving an award uh, at the GDC, at the Game Developers Convention in San Francisco, uh, Game Developers Conference, excuse me, in San Francisco, for his works. Um, they're thinking that there's going to be a large announcement when he receives his award. And a lot of speculation has to go with the tie in between the portal universe and half-life because technically they exist in the same world. So I think we're going to, we're going to see the potential for crossover between the two games coming even quicker than anybody ever expected. And I don't think we're going to have to wait until the end of portal two to see it. Hell halfway through portal two, you may be launched into Gordon Freeman. You never know. 
Well, that not just be... that, but the they've they've changed the ending to Portal One now as well. Yes, I was... where, so there's spoilers right then and there talking about what could obviously oh. be uh, um, a merge between that and the Half Life. Well, and there I should will... be. That, that that's the big that's the big you know cliffhanger ending to Half Life Two. I mean, like it's been out for so many years. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, you you even see the Aperture Science vessel, and that's yes. where. Gordon and Alex are supposed to go. They're supposed to get into a helicopter and go to the Aperture Science ship to get their technology, which is the portal technology, if anybody, you know, put two and two together. So, I mean, they exist, but then, you know, the events happen, and obviously it just fades to black right there before you actually go do whatever you know, what you're supposed to do. And we've been sitting there wondering what the hell happens for kind of a long time. See, and, and that's and that's also cool. And this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler if you guys haven't seen the video for it yet. But I think Portal's been out long enough that I don't really care if you haven't seen it yet as well. Jesus. Whatever, go Google it. Whatever. Um, yeah. But at the end of at the end of it, we, the normal ending for Portal was you blow up the 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 Aperture Science Lab, at least the section you're in. You're flung out into the car park, and you get to see everything, including the companion cube, flying around you until you black out. In the new ending, they've added I think it's like 13 or 14 seconds worth of extra footage um, where you don't black out right away. Instead, a robot comes up behind you. You hear in <laughs> one of the robot voices, thank you for assuming the submissive escort position. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> which is absolutely hilarious. And then it just starts dragging you right back towards the, uh, towards the center. And it's interesting to me, too, because I don't know if you caught this in the Half-Life 2, as you're like at the end of Half-Life 2, there's a large unexplained explosion somewhere. Yeah. Never never explained in the game, never explained through anything. You never go to find it out. There's just a huge fucking explosion. Is that when the, when, when, when the rocket is when the rocket is shooting off or whatever after the rocket blows off? Yes. When is it exploding? Yeah, that's okay. All right. I know, there, I know there's exactly. the, the rocket explosion and there's another explosion off in the distance where you hear like the echo from it. So yeah, come on. Right. How awesome is that? So I mean, I personally I think they've had it planned for a while. Um I just think that they didn't expect uh Left I don't think they expected Portal and Left for Well, I don't think they expected Portal to be as popular as it was. No. And I don't think that um I don't think that they expected Left for Dead and Left for Dead 2 to create such a it, let's be honestly it's a, it's an entire culture at this point. Mm-hmm. Um to put a foothold and have uh, equal demand if not more so demand for multiplayer action uh than Half-Life 3 has for continuing. And I'll well, be honest, well, I mean how, how how big is Valve? Maybe you guys know. I mean, does Valve have multiple teams? Like we have Bioware has multiple teams working on Mass Effect, working on Dragon Age, working on Star Wars. I mean, is Valve just one team of guys doing all these games? Because from every interview I've seen, there's usually just one or two guys and they talk about everything as if they've had their hands in it. So I'm kind of thinking... Yeah, but they've got multiple the products on at the same time as well, too. Right. I mean, case in point, Portal was made by a team completely separate, and it was tossed into Orange Box just as a little bonus to people who bought Orange Box because Orange Box was the apology for taking so long with the Half-Life series. So yep. really, it, it was not meant to do well, and it was just a, here, have fun, do whatever you want, which is why Portal also breaks so many conventions and so many acceptable rules in the industry in terms of when you're making a game make sure it does this this and this portal just threw that out the window and said we're going to do whatever the hell we want and that was largely part of its success as well but it was just tossed in as as you know a bonus so like the uh, quite obviously have separate people working on separate projects and separate ips so i would assume at this point that they 
have been working on the the Half-Life series as well. I mean, how can you not? Because it, 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 just from a, a marketing standpoint, really, if you worked in the marketing department for Valve, I mean, seriously, I would be... I'd have a tent set up outside of the CEO's office and constantly be saying, "Half life, half life, half life." Make them do half life, half because it's a money. It's just a gravy train. Why would you not want them making another? You know, it's going to make a fortune when it comes out. It really is, and in in. I mean, I'm certain that Valve is large enough at this point that they have multiple teams. I am absolutely certain of that. I mean, whether or not they have their couple face men that go out or, or developers that they might share between the teams, sure, absolutely. That happens, I mean, pretty much everywhere. Um, I mean, hell, look, we were talking with Bill Roper and we were talking about uh, how he gets to sit on uh, the meetings for STO. Um, he's not part of that team, but he still comes in and gives ideas and pitches ideas so he knows what's going on with those, um, you know, and he did at the time. So, I mean, a cross between teams, sure, absolutely. I'm, I'm certain that's going to be abs- that that's there. But yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that it's taken them this long with it, honestly. I mean, I would have expected it sooner. But again, there's a lot of unexpected things that I don't think they they could have possibly anticipated, including Portal. I mean, let's be honest. It was like Roger said, it was thrown into the orange box as an, uh, an apology, as an extra stuff. It breaks so many different gaming conventions. I mean, hell, immediately following Portal's release, there was a Flash game with like 256 levels released on the Internet that still gets a shit ton of traffic. I mean, come I, on. I thought that was I thought that was uh, the, the, the predecessor to to uh, Portal. I thought Portals began with a bunch of kids one out there, a bunch of people that made this like um this indie style kind of game as a school project or something like that. And then they got picked up by valve. Uh, what's her face? The, the woman who's kind of like the headliner one, she actually moved to a different company to do God knows what else. I don't remember. I it's the news is kind of blurry. I mean, this was kind of a few years ago. It, it, it might've started like that. I don't remember. I don't, I'll be honest. It's been so long now, but I'm just saying in general, the fact that the site still gets it, you know, that much attention, the popularity of it is just absolutely amazing. So okay, I, moving I on. Moving on from there, you brought up STO. We may as well get into this as well. Um, there yes. was some interesting news about Star Trek Online this week. Some some interesting forum threads as well. Too. <laughs> we'll start with that, and then we'll go into more about the uh, stuff that they're working on right now too. So Atari decided. Well, whether it was um, Cryptic or Atari, who knows? But it was going to be sold through Atari. They were going to be. The, the game was not yet three weeks old. Let's be very clear. That means that people's 30 days of free play was not yet up. Atari was going to be selling Star Trek online, not only cheaper, but they were going to include an additional 60 days. Not not 60 days, whereas everybody else got 30. No, 60 additional days. So people were going to get 90 free days of play for cheaper. So a thread was started on their forums. Now, from what I've seen, it's not like there were multiple threads uh, of people who were complaining and bitching. There was one thread. However, it reached 307 pages in no time. People saying, this is not right. 
the moderator for the forum decided, well, we can't be having any of this. So closed down that thread, started a new thread with the comment, we do care about your comments and feelings on this issue, but it's simply growing beyond our ability to track at the moment. As a result, I've gone and made a brand new official feedback thread you guys can find here. I don't know why they needed a new one. Maybe in the hopes that there wouldn't be quite as much bad or negativity in that thread however 226 pages later yeah people were still pissed off enough that cryptic pulled it and changed their minds and are not offering that being said the game is still being offered right now on sale 20 bucks cheaper it's not even three weeks old Oh, come on. I can't be the only one that's thinking this okay, is not look, cool. I, I, I haven't played or anything. I just saw that the wave look sounds really angry when I read it. <laughs> the best way I could put it is there's no QQ party quite like a cryptic QQ party. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, the associated partners to cryptic IPs have traditionally been very, very uh, stupid. Uh, um, I'm not, Atari is is doing something like it, it's a slap in the face. I mean, for those of us that pre-ordered our digital uh, ultimate edition with, you know, whatever company we did it with, it's like, well, you know what? You're selling it cheaper now. Give me something back or you're giving them 90 days. I only got 30. Fuck you. Give me more time. You know, it's in it, 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 people are rightfully upset. I think, I mean, 226 pages on the new thread, 307 pages on the old thread. Um, honestly, though, I wouldn't rage at cryptic. I think it's going to be, I don't think it's all entirely their fault. I think the aggression needs to be filtered directly through to Atari and say, bitches, wake up, um, get your head out of your asses and, 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 you know, make sure that you're not alienating the people that went ahead and bought the game beforehand. And I mean, there is, there is a certain amount of, of aggression there for everybody. You but know, it's, it's, I don't think if it's you just think Atari, it, it is cryptic as well, too. I mean, they're, they're. Mm. They're both and together them, in this, Ed. I, I'm not going to defend Cryptic and say, oh, it's all Atari's. I'm not suggesting you are, but I'm just saying they're in this together. And the fact was it was announced on their site, right on the homepage, and they're the ones that were pushing it. This is both of their screw-ups. And it's not oh. like we haven't seen screw-ups from Cryptic in terms of again money making things like this as well too where you are completely disrespecting the people who are supporting you already and i'm not saying that that cryptic doesn't have any hand in the pot in this one I, absolutely not um but i'm just saying like it, they seem to be getting all of the aggression that's all i mean literally i mean and obviously because they have forms that are easily accessed and people have accounts that they can sit and vent and bitch sure absolutely but i mean honestly do something Get off your asses, do something, fix it, give more time, give an extra cookie to the people that were already in the game. I mean, hell, if they just did a special unlock for everybody, I'm pretty sure people would be, wouldn't really care about the $20 difference. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a whole bunch of stupid in one place. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I can totally view this from... And an objective point of view because it does not affect me in the slightest since I'm not playing and I don't ever intend to play it. But it's just it's funny because if I look at this from just you just the story that you guys are saying, it sounds like <laughs> you coined it, bro. This is like the biggest retard stupid move I've seen in a while. 
n- other than Ubisoft, which I really want to move into because <laughs> because yeah. I want to. Can, can I share that story before we talk about the other thing? We're not done with Star Trek though. Let's let's finish with oh. Star Trek and we'll we'll go to that. But okay, back to Star Trek and enough bitching about that. It was a but bonehead thing to do, and that it just, was it, it, without a doubt. It, and again, like with other things, it's and this is why I don't. I, I, I do lay blame on cryptic to a certain point a degree because they'll try something up to a certain point and then when they get that outraged cry then they go oh okay we pushed too far well you know what don't try to push so damn far there's a happy medium there somewhere um, and I will say it's it's very difficult for companies in a lot of cases to find your happy medium but cryptic should have learned by now uh, between all the games that they've put out seriously um, but that said I still am having fun in the game so. Yeah, you know, whatever, let's let's move on with there and talk about some of the new stuff they're talking about as well. Um, go ahead, you you've looked into it as well. Well, no, you go first. Go ahead. Okay, they're talking about quite a few things. They they talked to, to the executive producer here. There's a, a pretty good interview that I'll link in the show notes with the executive producer Greg. I'm not even going to try Zinkiev. Zinkiewicz, whatever, um, where they talked about some of the stuff that's going to be coming out as well as some of the things that they may have done wrong and things like that. He was a little defensive at points, I I didn't (laughs) notice, but they are talking about starting the Borg missions um, like right away. They're going to be starting it off, and this is not going to be these half-assed Borgs that you beat at the beginning. This is going to be some pretty serious questing. We're going to see some very interesting stuff coming up. They're also finally going to be working on content for the Klingons as well. Now, this is huge because it'd be the equivalent of, say, WoW came out, and all of the the missions, well, the majority of the missions, all of the options in terms of being able to um, change your, your, your outfits and things like that was restricted to Alliance, and Horde only got a husk of uh, of a questing zone and things like that. That's what it is right now. If you choose to go Klingon, you are basically just PvP. They're finally going to be introducing more stuff wherein you're going to be able to do more with a Klingon character, which is huge. I mean, you really, really... It should have been there at the beginning. Once again, they rushed it. It was quite obvious. Joe, stop giggling for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> My God, man! Oh, that is man. That look at him. You got him all high pitched. Is she is she pinching a nipple or, or some other oh, appendage no. that that would God. cause you to to raise a few octaves? Oh no, no, no! It's just the way that Roger has a certain way of saying certain things that are just absolutely fucking hilarious. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. I wasn't even trying. Okay. I know. <laughs> totally making fun of you. Totally I, making fun of you oh on yeah. that one. Oh, now that he's got a woman, all of a sudden it's fair game to make fun of me. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> okay, can, yeah. we, can we talk about Star Trek Online again? Can we, is it safe to go back there? Check all right. So, yes, they're finally going to be introducing a lot more Klingon content for people. And then we're going to be seeing all of the, um, the Borg stuff as well for people who have been leveling up quite a bit. Um, how, hard, how high have you gotten yours up to? Honestly, I'm at, uh, what is it, Commander 7? So Right. So that's that's as far that's as high as I've gotten so far, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what gets added in, uh, particularly with the Borg. That's really my 
my area of interest right here, mostly because, um, like you said, the Borg at the beginning were lackluster. They were very easy to kill. They were not collect- connected to the to the hive mind. They were just nothing. They were just you know there for you to. They were the equivalent of boars in, in Elwyn Forest. Um, and now it's like they're actually going to be something challenging and something that's going to be uh, with more story coming around them. I think that's awesome. Um, I think that's something that was needed. I think that was something that everybody wanted to see happen because a lot of people, if you look at through the threads on their forums and stuff like that, a lot of people are upset at the fact of how, you know, easy that the Borgs are. There was just like, I shot him three times and they died. What the fuck is that? Um, I also like the fact that they're, they are bringing more customization to the Klingons. And you're right. Right now, the way it was is Klingons, you play a Klingon, you're PVP. You're going into these fleet actions to do nothing but kill, um, you know, the Federation and just have your fun doing that. It's nice to see that side of the game get flushed out because it's an untapped area. It's something that just needs to be done. And I'm looking forward to seeing that get added and having more customization for players in that regard and things like that. And I want to, I want, I want to see this game do well. I really do. I enjoy the IP. Um, I enjoy the content that they have so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just it's nice to see them adding it in. But with the Klingon stuff, personally, I think it should have been in there from the beginning. There's a lot of things that should have been in from the beginning. That's the thing. Like we've talked about it quite a bit. The thing that's that's frightening me is their model, wherein they're talking about certain things will be pay to 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 download it and some will be given as part of content patches and whatnot and again i just keep going back to the wow model of introducing so much and you're paying the same thing monthly as you do for star trek and right now the star trek um see god damn it rick the star trek online has got so much uh so (laughs) little content in it right now in terms of comparison to um (laughs) laugh it up no nuts um in comparison to vanilla wow even i mean when you're looking at it in terms of how much was in there how much is in each comparatively it's you you can't even compare the two whereas if if they're talking about having to make you pay for larger packs expansion packs that will have more more information it's still not going to be the equivalent of again an expansion pack let's say with with wow it's not going to have that much so it's going to be interesting to see that it's a fine line and again we we've seen how they're not afraid of charging people for or trying to charge people until the outrage sets in now we're going to take a very short break because somebody has <laughs> the giggles somebody apparently has had a very very good weekend with the female company he's been keeping um we're gonna take a couple of minutes break see if we can regain our composure um maybe rick and i are gonna get a drink i would suggest that joe not have anything further and uh and then maybe go from there so we're gonna take a, a couple of minutes folks and we will be right back with more news citizens and friends of nomregon today is the day we take Back our glorious city from that vile traitor Thermoplug. Gather around me as we prepare to reclaim our homeland. No more shall our people live as refugees, as outcasts, as wretched irradiated slaves chained to the yoke of a madman's war machine. The end of Thermoplug's reign draws near. Gather now at the staging area! Our tactics, 
Our science, our bravery and determination shall prevail. The assault begins in but a moment. Operation Nomregon begins now. Initiate phase one. Recapture the enemy airfield. Destroy their rocket launchers and achieve total air superiority. Targets in sight. Squads deploy. Destroy all enemy rocket launchers. <laughs> That's one down. Keep attacking. <laughs> That's another one destroyed. Maintain the assault. Excellent work. Don't let up. The airfield is ours. And with it, the skies over Nomragon. Now our multi-bombers can obliterate Thermoplug's shielded tank buster cannons. Initiate phase two. Capture the surface command post. Our multi-bombers have destroyed the tank buster cannon shields. <laughs> Take them down and secure the surface command post. <laughs> We've secured the surface. Operation Nomragon is proceeding with 93% efficiency. Well done, everyone. I'll shut down the defensive radiation pumps. Squads, commandeer the remaining mechanized suits and move up to the main entry. We stand at the brink of victory, my friends. Initiate phase three, into the tunnels. Once we capture the underground railway and loading dock, we'll use them to make a rapid attack on the heart of the city. Nomragon is within our grasp. My dears, that's got to be every last trog in the city. Ah, squads, dig in. Frag bombs and suppressing fire. Hold the line. We won't be turned back now. Sweet baby titans! That's gotta be the biggest trog I've ever seen! Uh, keep firing! Take it down! It's too quiet. Where are Thermoplug's defense forces? What is that? That looks like the radiation bomb that poisoned Nomragon! Wait! Incoming! It's a trap! That's a fully functional irradiator! Ten minutes? <laughs> Plenty of time to disarm the device. Hinkles, hand me that worrying bronze gizmo and some fresh spring water. Cogspin, toss me that dirty trog cloth and a handful of copper bolts. <laughs> We've got to get out of here. Lapforge, beam us back quickly. Curses, we had to fall back. But Thermoplug's lost, and he knows it. He's only bought himself time. We hold the surface. And when the radiation clears, we'll assault and recapture Nomragon with a force twice this size. My old battle suit. Oh, how I've missed you. Mechatorque beam. Mechatorque cannon. Mechatorque cannon. Mechatorque missiles. Mechatorque missiles. Mechatorque ray. Ultimate atomic protection!
back to for the lore let's jump right into the assassin's creed 2 clusterfuck oh okay rick i know you're dying (laughs) go ahead i just i find it really really funny because i have just i got a vendetta against drm in in general i think it's fucking retarded just plain and simple i'm not going to turn this into that kind of a discussion but um ubisoft you know I, I can't see how they didn't expect this coming. The internet hate machine struck them and through a DDoS attack on one of their servers, uh, nobody, paying customers alike, could play Assassin's Creed 2 like just right off the bat because their uh, their authentication servers were just slammed so hard and completely knocked down. I think it's just I think it's very funny. Because Ubisoft, I like Ubisoft as a company that makes some pretty entertaining games and whatnot, but I don't get why they would, you know, what idiot that apparently doesn't work there anymore came up with this idea and i guess now the higher-ups are really thinking this really was a bad idea because now we can't even get paying customers to play the fucking game it's just like toyota with the recalls now their name is synonymous with this bullshit and i'm okay with that I don't think that they have come to that conclusion just yet because from what I've been reading is they're really trying to downplay it now and say that most people were still fine. Um, A small portion of people weren't able to log in and we do apologize for them and blah, 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 all that corporate ass bullshit. That's very, that's that's Um, very PR. That's very canned. Exactly. Why, why would I admit that I did something stupid and that the next time it happens, it's going to be... And, and it's going to happen. It's going you know. to happen again. You know mm-hmm. it's going to happen. It is. Of course. Servers, this is the internet. Servers go down. Any any professional, any IT professional out there knows that. I mean, Roger, we, we've been working in this field for how long? What happens? At some point in time, a server goes down. It has to be fixed. There's scheduled maintenance. Something happens. So during that window, you're going to say every single one of your paying customers can't play. I mean, it's just, it's not good. It's not, I, I am, the whole debacle surrounding specifically Assassin's Creed 2, which was one of the most anticipated games before its release. Um, it's just, it's bad. It's bad juju. Yeah, I actually probably would have picked up two by now because I really, really wanted to play it. But I don't want to play it on the the console. I want to play it on the PC. And in all honesty, this has made it to the... I'm, I'm not picking it up. If they change it and they reverse this, then I'll pick it up. But I am not picking it up under these freaking... Orwellian rules of you can't get on unless we're watching you. It's just not going to happen. And see, and... In, in- I will say this, and I'll be very quick about it, but that's the entire, the counterculture that surrounds DRM is pirating. And pirating is big because, well, DRMs have always been in place to really fuck with us. Um, look at the whole thing with Sony when they had that, they had their DRM on, um, I think it was the CDs that would actually install yeah. a rootkit onto your computer in order to have to play those CDs. You could not play those CDs without this rootkit installed on your computer. And then that rootkit, 
allowed a backdoor access to your machine. Congratulations. All that did was encourage all those people to download those CDs elsewhere. The same thing's happening with Assassin's Creed 2. It took 48 hours, 48 hours for a crack to be released for the DRM authentication. Why? Because people could not play the game. People who purchased the game are then cracking it just so they can fucking play it. You guys, this is not a good business model. This is not a good way to do anything. I mean, especially for a game this huge. And I, like you, Roger, I know a lot of people that were waiting for this for PC. They have their PCs, better graphics. They like the control scheme better. Um, they The better monitors, whatever the case is, they all prefer it for one reason or another on the PC. And even though they're sitting there, they're like, well, we're just going to have to wait. This is just bullshit. This is absolute bullshit. I mean, if they just trusted their product and realized that you have a good product, people are going to pay for it. Fuck this this Orwellian, like you said, this Orwellian, this big brother uh, DRM. Just let people play your damn game. The thing, too, is that you know damn well that when they're going to be releasing DLC, they're going to set it up so that it does check whether or not you actually hacked the DRM. And that if you did, something's going to prevent you from either playing that or something along those lines. You know that's coming as well. You know that, that huge... De- Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it's the whole premise behind DRM. I don't think it's so much um, people not trusting their product. I think it's that it starts everything on a very negative and somewhat aggressive stance. And people, you know, piracy, uh, basically the pirate counterculture and, and gamers like us and whatnot, we take offense and that instantly puts a human being on the defensive when they they get told hey i don't trust you're not going to steal this so i'm going to make it so that you can't steal this and right then and there you're thinking well who the fuck are you i'm gonna you know i'll show you and then you know they go and they download it not to mention that drm doesn't really do much to protect the product all it does is make it so inconvenient and therein is the whole issue the whole philosophy behind drm i understand you got to protect your product but it's just they're not trying to protect it they're not doing anything legitimately protected that can be hack-proof or whatever. They're just trying to make it so inconvenient that your average Joe, like myself, will not bother to hack it because it's too much a pain in the ass to do it. And it's just – it becomes, you know, like what Sammy says, everybody always loses. It's a lose-lose situation. You're wasting money and, and production development time and, and all this shit trying to make this DRM and – you know, the people who actually give a crap about the game want to buy that game like Roger don't really want to go through that bull crap in the first place. So they don't even bother. The thing, too, to keep in mind is and this is something that they're going to have to learn eventually. I mean, it's 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 not rocket science. The fact is that the DRM is not going to prevent the game from being hacked and distributed through where sites. It simply will. That's just that's how it is. So and and the fact that every single DRM that they bring out that they think, oh, this is going to be the end, I'll be all and then we'll be fine is not. And it's hacked within like 24 to 48 hours. So frankly, it does not matter when they put if they put this on or not. They're going to have to come to that realization eventually that it's not helping them. I mean, whether you're looking at Spore or any other game before that they they went through these these measures to try to protect the game or whatever. You can. It's it's going to be cracked immediately. And then the people who would have downloaded it regardless are going to download it. So you you haven't won. It's it to me, it's an intelligent gamers Mount Everest. They do it because it's there. 
Mm. Oh, oh, dude! If if um if there was an issue, if there was a game that came out that toted that, oh yes, this is going to be uncrackable or unhackable or whatever the hell, to me that provides more motivation yep. for that specific community to say, oh well, yep. bam, look at this! Now I got a now I have a notch on my belt because I cracked this game within forty eight hours and whatnot. You know that it's just all they're doing is motivating the people, the pirates, to to do what they're going to do. Yep, definitely. Okay, moving on from there. Um, a short little blurb. Finally, people at uh, GPotato were listening to all the people complaining about the Allods online pa- um, prices for the, the shop, and the prices have plummeted. So people were listening and realized that $20 for six slots was not quite reasonable. So they dropped the price <laughs> on a whole bunch of stuff, and now that is cheaper. Now, should we go into the ion first or into some wow news? What do you boys think? Can we just skip the ion? I mean, okay, a patch is going to drop. It's um, it's saying that they're going to make things better. They're going to make things less grindy. They're going to make things faster. That That's the patch. Yeah, but okay, here's what I actually wanted to say about this. Now, and, and maybe we'll cover this later in uh, a future episode. I wanted to get us to start thinking seriously about what is it about ion that really turned us off the game and then look at whether or not any of those or how many of those i should say have been resolved or taken care of or addressed because what okay. they're doing with this patch here and, and I'm, I'm certainly not coming to ncsoft's defense by any no, means no, i've made my point pretty clear but it'd be interesting to play devil's advocate here and to and to see because truth be told if enough things if i'm looking at a list that i've got of things that must change in the game before i can play it and say 75 percent of it is taken care of am i willing to accept that olive branch and say okay then all right that's good enough i can't expect that just because me north american gamer wants everything changed that it must know it's a game that has to be for everyone if it's 75 percent, will i then say okay i'll give you a try I'll, I'll, I'll try again and at this point here looking at what they're talking about now we're not talking about patch 2.0 which they're talking is going to be very overall. very yeah a huge overall of the game we're talking about 1.9, which is the way they're talking, fixing core mechanics in the game, not just making it prettier and making it, you know, so you can swim and shit like that, but just changing core things. Now, from what I've read, actually, the bots and the spams are all but non-existent now. That was a huge one. They've, yeah, they've, they've really cracked down on that. I was reading about that. So that's that was a big one for me. So that one's taken care of. They've made it so that you're going to get a lot more experience now, so that it's less of a grind. There's another one for me, because it was the grind that was driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. So here I'm not going to have to grind, and it's going to be a lot more experience. There's another one. They made it so that they're introducing this looking for group channel, which we've seen how popular that is with WoW, with the looking for dungeons. So if they mm-hmm. do something similar, wherein you can quickly find a group, quickly get whatever experience you need from said um, quests that you have for certain regions or whatever. It's not as much a pain in the ass to look for a group and to find a good group or whatever. Then is that going to be something that is going to make a, a difference? Is that going to make it good? I Yeah, I think that would make it much better as well. And then we've got, they're going to be making it so that rewards from quests and different things as well are going to be much better 
Okay, there's another one. How many more do we need before we're willing to give this another try? One thing I will say about the the notes, and as much hate as I have for this game, for all the same reasons you guys do, um, there's still enough about the game that I really want them to fix it so I can give it another shot and actually experience the game fully. What gets me about the patch notes for 1.9 is if you look through them, they have quotes from gamers, people who are playing the game, what they have problems with, things that need to be fixed, and they're actually listening to the gamers. And that's very important because the gamer base really is what's going to give you the, the lowdown on what you need to fix. You know, whether they have somebody who randomly happens across our podcasts where we blow this game apart and tell them exactly why, or all those blogs, all the blogs out there or comments on their forums, whatever they do to get their shit fixed, if they get their shit fixed, fantastic. I really, I mean, honestly, if they fix 75% of it, I would go back. I would give it another fair shot. I honestly would. See, here's another one, too. Again, see, I'm going through the, the page right now, as everybody watching live can see as well. We've got also the money sinks are being fixed, mm-hmm. wherein you're you're not being dinged a, the, the price of a house whenever you die kind of thing. Um the Item drops are going up as well. Yeah, so there's yeah. those those were huge to me as well. Now combat balancing as well, so that you're not going to have it so that it's always the same class that owns in PvP and, and whatnot. Here you're going to have more balancing throughout, plus they're introducing new skills as well. They're introducing fifteen new skills spread between the classes. Okay. Yeah, the, so the item I, I just want to say one the item drop thing. Oh, this is Ion, by the way, Sammy. Uh, the item drop thing was something that really, really, really irked me because it doesn't seem to make any sense at all the way they used to have it. So if, the, but they're not giving any specifics with these. I want to see actual values. I want to see maybe even if they would go ahead and do a PTR of this sort of thing, because there's just something so soul crushing as going through a dungeon or yeah, specifically a dungeon and going through this whole ordeal and not having a single item drop. It's essentially pointless. It served no, no purpose. And yeah, I realize I missed the point, Sammy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so again, my point is, and maybe we'll discuss this later on as well in, in, in a future episode, because we are going to bounce into some wow news now. But my, my point is, I'd like for us to, to, to touch on it later in terms of, okay, here's the major problems we had. Here are the improvements that they've made where they have addressed those. Is it going to be enough that at some point we will change our minds and actually give it a second shot? And will it be before 2.0 drops? So with that, though, we will move on to some wow, because there was actually some pretty big wow news that came out, which we did report on. The boys reported on for the lore as well, because the voice clips for Mechatoric and for Vulgin were data mined, and we got to hear some very cool stuff. I, I got to tell you, especially the, the Mechatoric stuff, I just loved it. It was fantastic. It looks like it's going to be a blast to play through the retaking of No Morrigan. Yes, and honestly... And I wrote about it on the site. If you guys haven't checked it out, go to ForTheLore.com. Feel free to go ahead and read uh, my write-up on it of Mechatork and the gnomes taking back Gnomergon and Rick's write-up on Vulgian and the retaking of, what, what was the name of the, the town the, there? The, the Echo Isles. The, the Echo Isles. The Echo Isles. Um, me, personally, it's the flushing out of characters. Now, 
Vulgen got some story back in Warcraft, okay? It, when we're talking about Warcraft 3, there's a little background. You found out a little bit more about him. But for me, Mechatork, he was just there. He was just a guy sitting in the tram waiting for the horde to come in. And I will say my, my fondest memory of that little gnome was watching an entire horde raid wipe on the gnome king before they nerfed the shit out of them. Why? Because watching a little gnome take out a whole army full of Torrin is absolutely fucking hilarious. That said, I like the fact that we are starting to get more story for these characters. And the story for these characters is leading into possible more story and lore for future games, for future release. Uh, it's justification for, like we talked about before, with like new things for engineering, things like that. And it's just nice. And the event itself, the, the, the events themselves for both are going to engross you in that character, at least that niche, that little market. And I know there's some people that just don't care about these places. Fine. Go to hell. I don't care about you at this point, <laughs> but for people, for people that, you know, people that like the story, people that like lore and people that have been sitting there looking at these NPCs that are just sitting there doing nothing, but just soaking up kills when you're going for your, you know, your black war bear, you know, there you go. I mean, this is this is for us, and I can't wait. The Megatork ones are absolutely fucking hilarious. I'm sorry. I, I have not laughed that hard in such a long time. And it's just the interaction between Megatork and uh, you, the, the Quester. Yeah, oh yeah, those two. But also, the, just hit, I, I, I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to envision it like the... Um, the the quests that take you back to um for the undead and for the wrathgate and for everything like that and i'm trying to envision okay well that they're going to use that same kind of um machinima kind of stuff for this uh, obviously and i can imagine mechaturk rallying the troops beside him and we can do it and everything and they also play the when you're you're falling behind and then when you're gaining ground and things like that and it just sounds it sounds like it's going to be fun. Not just that it's going to be epic, but it just sounds like it's going to be a blast to play through. Absolutely. And I mean, and you said it right, like taking in of the Undercity after the the Wrathgate event, that was a lot of fun. Tearing through the Undercity in that little instance, a place that, you know, some Alliance players never have gotten to see, um, getting to see a different side of it, getting a different side of the story. If you're an, a Horde player, I mean, they were just fun. They were fun events and we're getting another fun event like this. And it, WoW really is when they do events, they do them well. Um, I don't, I can't think of a world event that hasn't been fun. Zombie invasion, uh, the scourge invasion when, uh, before wrath was released, uh, before or was it BC, the gates of AQ. Wh whichever one, yeah. the gates of the gate, the gates of AQ. Good the Lord. Gates of AQ I mean, there was, events of <laughs> that was something else, bro. <laughs> Dude, you had yeah, like no, giant I mean, Anubis freaking statues walking every goddamn zone. They were in the barons. They were, they were everywhere. Yes. Awesome. And, and when it happened too, nobody knew it was going to happen either. Like there were, they just said it was coming and then it just dropped on you. But I mean, even with the, the forewarning they're giving us, I mean, these events are going to be fun. This is why we play games, right, folks? We play these games to have fun. And it's nice to be able to say, well, I'm going to have fun doing this. It really is. And I can't wait. Yeah, the um, it, it, the stuff for Vulgen, like the Echo Isles, I, I maybe I'm I'm a little biased, although I love playing trolls. It doesn't seem to be quite as epic in nature from what I've read so far. I'm I'm hoping there's going to be more to it than tossing frogs around, basically. It's I'll I'll be honest with you, at least from from my perspective, the um, the gnome one seems to be a lot more grandiose. 
but that's just because it's something that I can relate to. The 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 troll one is a totally different beast altogether. I think it's actually kind of cool. I don't know if a little bit of trivia, but um, the trolls actually first started off with a very Cuban kind of feel to it because they all spoke like Tony Montana back like in Warcraft, you know, two, and then right. they slowly then they became Jamaican, and now they're Haitian. You know, it's just really it held. It just one of the NPCs you deal with, okay, is actually just an exact copy with an altered name of of one of the Haitian voodoo loas. That's actually, you know, that's that's like a worship, like a saint, if you would, you know. So it's really cool how they're doing that. But um, back to the matter at hand, the gnomes, you're looking at a giant military offensive with mechanized infantry and and tanks and bazookas and crap like that, you know, and, and just an actual army of gnomes and you know us players and whatnot that are joining in as well assaulting and doing like a city siege right the trolls is not so much it's more of like a war party going over a couple of you know uh, some shallow water onto a couple of islands and doing that sort of thing personally the coolest thing about this whole experience for me is that it's pretty much opening it up opening up the doors for a troll druid or a gnome priest Specifically, the troll druid part. That is, that's gonna be bad as shit, dude. It'd be nice if they started introducing more quests again. They they they've spent they spent so many years with the, the class specific quests that they then later took away. Well, they left them, but nobody bothered doing them because they just gave it to you. Especially for the druid, I found. I, I, yes, I have a bias because druids have always been my main. However. Still, I've played every damn class. The druids are, and maybe close second warlocks, the most interesting in terms of what you can do with them by simple virtue of the fact that they have to learn these different shapes and everything else. There's so much history, so much lore that can be applied to druids. And yet they've made it so that you can skip through all of that. It'd be nice with the trolls if they actually made it so that, and with the wargans also, so that there actually were quests that were druid specific that you had to do again. Not just skip because they're too hard. Do the damn quest because it's important to understand the reason why you're playing this class. Well, and this also, and, and before we move on to the rest of the wild news here, I just want to add in, it's important to revamp these areas too because the areas that are getting revamped are traditionally quest light. And they want to really change the beginning levels for players to bring them further into the game. They want to draw them in and keep them in early and often. And one of the ways you do that is by taking areas that are traditionally weak, uh, like they've done in the past with Theramore and, and you know, that area. And you take areas like uh, the entire area outside of Ironforge. I mean, to be perfectly honest, that area doesn't have a whole hell of a lot. Um, it's a few quests before you move on to the next zone, and it introduces you to the city of Ironforge, and then you're done. Um, you get a couple quests to go into Nomorgon, and then that's it. But adding more quest hubs as a result of taking these out um, is important, because the more quests you have, the more story you have, the more story you have, the easier it is for a player to get involved. And yeah. I think that's very important to see. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on from there, what else did we see? We saw this week the Celestial Speed Steed Mount, which I'm going to put this link as well in the show notes <laughs> because, dudes, you have to see this mount. Oh, my God. It's, it's awesome. Like, it's just a star system that you have between your legs, which 
yeah, we're going to leave all the puns out because it's just too damn cool. Um, <laughs> it's a flying horse type mount as well. So you can you can ride it on the ground as well as as uh, fly with it. It's beautiful. But they also uh, found like the blazing hippogriff, the woolly white rhino. That hippogriff looks pimp, dudes. Look at that thing with the flying yes. flame tail. That looks fantastic. We got a crimson death charger, azure death charger, uh, a frosty flying carpet. I mean, it still looks like a carpet. I don't know, but still. Uh, so we got some new mounts that are going to be coming up. We also have new little mini pet. We got yes, little XT. I I hope the voice stays the same. It doesn't need to change. I you know. I don't think it's going to have a voice, but if you look at it, if when Roger brings it up on the screen, the first thing I thought of when I saw it, look at the look at the gem above its head. Anybody else think The Sims? Yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm just like, can I tell it to go start a fire in the kitchen? Can I tell it to go get a job and get married and have kids? That'd be awesome. But yeah, it's awesome, and I mean, it's it's a cool looking mini pet. It, it just, I can't wait to see what it does. I mean, we look at the the Pandaren monk, and you can bow to it, and it'll bow. You can make a drink emote and it'll sit and drink um little kt will go around and kill uh you know all sorts of like little rats just freeze them to death um the oozling from the love is in the air event will consume other critters and combine with other oozlings into larger oozlings and then you have this i want to see what this xc does i want to see it like throw a random tantrum in the middle and just like knock all the rats on their ass or something i just want i can't wait for that (laughs) I wonder how you're going to get it. That's the big thing that I'm kind of worried about. I hope that this is not something that has to be purchased like the um, like the baby Griffin or the baby Windrider or the, you know, the Pandaren Monk. I actually have a Pandaren Monk. Um, me and Misty both bought one or, or the KT. I mean, I don't want to have to buy this XT, but this is actually one pet that I really want. There's only three pets in the game that I actually bother to care about, and that's this one, the Pandaren Monk, and the Warg Pup because, you know, it's come on. All right, with that, we're going to actually wrap it up for this evening, folks. I'd like to thank you all for joining us. We have got the fourth part of Vince's squad bio for Mass Effect 2 that's going to be on tonight, and it's going to be on Grunt. Very cool stuff. And we're going to have the review for um, Stormguard as well from, or sorry, Storm Ranger is from, uh, from Rick as well. And finally, and, yes, finally, it's only a week late, but oh, poor baby had to hurt his back. Oh, I can't work. Um, make sure to join us next week, 645 <laughs> PM Eastern time. Same as normal. I will try my best to have the episode out tomorrow. And with that, I bid you adieu. Good night, folks. Good night. Hello, everybody. This is Rick from Spooncraft.com, the For the Lore podcast. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the book Storm Rage by Richard Knack. Now, I wasn't quite sure how to approach this review since I felt like it should be more than just my opinion of the book. But I'll be doing this bit in three parts. A review, a summary, and then some speculation with a little bit of evidence. So, first off, we have the book review. Now, the book itself is written about as well as can be expected. I mean, this is Richard Knack we're talking about. He's just one of those writers that people will either love, tolerate, or despise. Now, motivations aside, the book, once again, isn't written poorly. Um, it's an easy read, and there's a lot of folks that are saying, I can barely get through it, I have to vomit, oh my god, this is so terrible, it's unreadable. Those are usually the contrived, kind of snobby folks you find lounging about a coffee shop or a Starbucks for the ambiance. You know, you might know them better as pseudo-intellectuals, hipsters, or indie kids. Anyway, 
Um, there are a few times when the dream sequences do get kind of annoying. Uh, it's very hard at first to tell where you are. Essentially, he starts off a lot of paragraphs and a lot of chapters by giving you this exposition and you find out later that you're in an actual dream of a major lore character or just an NPC in the game that you happen to be familiar with or whatnot. It's a nice way that he uses a lot of NPCs from the game so you feel a connection but this book was basically written for people playing the game, playing the World of Warcraft, which at this point is pretty much everybody. There is a lot of jumping from one scene to the next, kind of like when you're watching a movie or a video it has extremely fast cuts that heighten the drama and kind of speed things up to get to a climax. Now that works very well visually, but in writing it just doesn't seem to exactly capture what I think Knack was trying for, bringing up the Mary Sue characters. Um, it's basically, he will create a character out of thin air that suddenly it becomes an integral part of the story and lore and just becomes a very powerful character with no seeming background at all uh, prior to this book or to the publication. Um, in this case, it's two of them in which we have Luke and Foxblood, which is a human. He is the head cartographer or lead cartographer, assistant cartographer, something for uh, Stormwind, you know, for King Varian Wern. And he's written like an afterthought of a character. His presentation is pretty bad in my opinion. He's at least more real than other iterations and other characters that have been created by Knack, but for the most part I didn't like him and I really didn't like him being in the book. He didn't seem to serve a purpose for me at all other than just a plot device to kind of get the story moving to wherever the hell Knack wanted to move him. Uh, there's another character, Thora the Orc, um, who is the niece of... She's got some relation to Broxigar and Sarfang. I believe she's like the niece of Broxigar or some such shit like that. She's some orc. In other words, she's next in the bloodline to get Broxigar's axe, which is her main bit in the story, is um, the axe that was crafted by Cenarius for Broxigar back in the War of the Ancients trilogy. And that axe is obviously created by a demigod. It's a very powerful artifact. We'll get more about that later. Um, she doesn't seem to... She's a non-entity in this book. She barely... She serves a purpose for the plot... But honestly, it's just she was there because there needed to be a connection to bring the axe in since the axe does play a role. Even though at some point later on, the axe, which is, you know, heralded and toted about as something so powerful, spends a lot of time either laying on the ground or just not really being used. I mean, you could imagine it being used as this massive, powerful, smiting kind of weapon, but it's being wielded by a character that is naturally weak. It's not being wielded by a heroic character. You get Arthas and Frostmourne. Frostmourne is this badass, powerful, legendary, just insanely powerful artifact, and then you have the Lich King is someone of equal power that is wielding that weapon, and so it makes sense. That's where you had that kind of connection of them doing these, you know, horrible, terrible, great things. Um, when you have essentially just a nobody like Thora, uh, Thura, whatever the hell you want to pronounce it, using this huge, amazing, incredibly powerful weapon, the weapon loses a lot of that oomph, it loses a lot of that power, it loses a lot of its presence, because it just doesn't have anybody to help carry it. Now, moving right along, I liked both characters, <sighs> to kind of put it a to put a final note as far as the whole Mary Sue thing, I actually did like Ronin more than these characters. I mean, a lot of people hate Ronin and they hate his living guts and they wish he was never brought in and they want to, you know, eviscerate uh, Richard Knack for even including this character. But, you know, whatever. They put him into this, you know, he's in the story, he's in there now, he serves a purpose, it's really not that bad and people can argue to the high heavens 
just get over it. Another thing in this book that I noticed is the iterations of Malfurion and Tyrande, which are two major players in the book, obviously it's titled after Malfurion, um, are the same as those that were in the War of the Ancients trilogy. So if you saw the characterization of these two figures in the War of the Ancients trilogy, um, they have pretty much the same. I don't like the fact that it doesn't feel as if they've grown or changed much, to be honest, but... In the same hand, I have to say, I liked those characters. I hated the characters as they were portrayed in Warcraft 3 because they were boring, single-dimension assholes. Now, at least, they are single-dimension non-assholes. That's the best way that I can explain it. I, it's... They were... A lot of people argue this because if you take the position from the Warcraft 3 characterizations of Malfurion, Stormrage, and Tyrande the Whisporn, they were built not by anything other than these minuscule cutscenes between um, campaigns, between missions within the story campaign. And even then, it was towards the ass half of the game, since you spent the first three parts of the game not playing as the Night Elves, not knowing shit about Night Elves, and then finally, suddenly, you're playing, you know, as the Night Elves, and you get all this story, and you learn about these characters, so it was a very small bit. But... Because they were night elves and they had stealth and they had, you know, the glaze and all this other shit. They became, you know, the fanboy favorite. And so that's why I believe personally a lot of people have a lot of... They just love that. Oh, it's a dark elf. Ooh. Now, I was going to do a spoiler part here, but upon originally recording it, it was going on 20 minutes long of me talking about the story. So let me just give you the short and sweet version. The book takes place after Arthas is dead. After the Lich King is defeated... During the events of Wrath of the Lich King, imagine that the expansion is over. You are now sitting in this funky zone during the summertime when people normally quit the game in between the end of Wrath of the Lich King and the beginning of Cataclysm. So Cataclysm has not happened. Deathwing has not popped out of the ground yet. But Arthas is no longer an issue. So the book takes place while everybody is in the process of rebuilding and dealing with the fallout and the repercussions and all the events that happened within Wrath of the Lich King. Mafir and Stormrage is being uh, killed, essentially. He is dying. He's being tortured. He is captured by a Nightmare Lord in the Emerald Nightmare. The Emerald Dream is no more. It is now the Emerald Nightmare for all intents and purposes until that gets resolved in this book. Uh, the Nightmare Lord who is in uh, behind all these nefarious plots and whatnot is actually Xavius, which was the first satyr ever. He was a character introduced in the official canon for the War of the Ancients trilogy. He was the head advisor to Queen Ashara. And he was turned into a tree in a very gruesome, horrible way by Malfurion Stormrage during the War of the Ancients trilogy events. Um, he has basically been biding his time at one eye. He has been corrupting using his using the demonic gifts that were given to him. Uh, so he's been corrupting the Emerald Dream, turning into the Emerald Nightmare, f actually using an existing corruption from this rift that... Um, is referenced in the book as having a connection to the Twisting Nether, surprisingly enough. There's a bit of a retcon here because in the quest that you deal with during the uh, opening of the Gates of Ankiraj in the original World of Warcraft and classic Vanilla WoW, Mafirian Spirit comes out and says, hey, this is an old god that is doing these things to the Emerald Dream. And that's not really confirmed in this book. And if it gets changed, awesome. Seeing as how the old god that they were referencing was Sithun, which was killed off in Ankiraj. He was the last boss for all intents and purposes. He's done. He's dead. Even in the comic books. He's done. He's, he's no longer an issue. Okay? And then we have Yogg-Saron is another old god. He's done. We have the old god that is unnamed in the Master's Glaive in the Darkshore Zone in the game right now. You can go visit, hopefully, before it gets changed. 
that's also a non-player. I mean, we're running out of old gods here to deal with. I personally believe that it has to do more with Sargeras and the Burning Legion coming back in some regard, because as soon as we're done with Deathwing and as soon as we're done with Queen Ashara as bosses that are going to be uh, in in Cataclysm, pretty sure the next step is Sargeras and then Warcraft is done as a franchise. But that's just my personal opinions, my speculation. Take it as you will. Fandral Staghelm, the asshole Archdruid leader of the you know, Druidic Order that is in Darnassus now. Nobody likes him. He has been using Morrow Grain, which we have had to farm for too damn, too damn long, to poison Malfurion Stone Rage because he has been corrupted, as in Fandral has been corrupted, by the Nightmare Lord under the guise of his long-dead son who died in the War of the Shifting Sands with the AQ and all that other stuff back in the day. Um, he has been poisoning Malfurion. He eventually gets decimated. It is not clarified in the book if he is killed or if he is just essentially reduced in, you know, to a vegetable state for all intents and purposes. So he's no longer a player at all. Uh, Brol Bearmantle, who you may know from the comic books and whatnot, is um, exonerated, I guess. He finally attains his power. He gets over his trauma about, you know, when his daughter died and how it was his fault and all this other shit. And he, you know, he has the same horns, the Gift of Scenarius kind of deal that Malfurion has, but his eyes were always blue. They were not glowing uh, yellow, glowing yellow, and with the antlers is apparently a big, big deal for druids. It's about as close as they can possibly get to being, you know, like the demigod scenarios, to being as close as possible to nature. But uh, if you have the blue eyes, then you're just a normal asshole night elf, and so that gets changed. He gets elevated. I am pretty sure that he will be the new leader of the druids for the night elves. As well, Teldrassil has been corrupted and is being further corrupted by Fandral Staghelm. Uh, it was being corrupted by the Nightmare Lord and Fandral Staghelm was assisting in this corruption using the druids in a special convocation that he called of all the druids to feed their power to weaken them and distract them, you know, while he was trying to purify, which is actually he was trying to corrupt even further, uh, the Teldrassil world tree and turned it into his evil manifestation on you know, the world on Azeroth as we know it. The Nightmare Lord Xavius's main goal was to merge both worlds together and put everybody in this horrible state. There was a mist coming out onto the world. A lot of people were falling asleep, um, not waking up. This is where the whole thing kind of alluded. This is where all the hints began hitting was... Um, People were falling asleep and now waking up. People were trapped in these horrible nightmares. And not just, you know, schmuck peasant people. We're talking about, like, Sylvanas, Thrall, King Magni. A lot of major players were just falling asleep, not waking up, going through these nightmares, becoming pawns of the Nightmare Lord. People were awake and, it was, you know, while they were dreaming, but their physical forms were awake and around, shambling about like zombies, killing others. And just, it was a major, major, major deal. Um, in the story. That gets resolved, of course, when the Nightmare Lord gets vanquished. Um, I've noticed that the Dragonflights in this book is another example of the Dragonflights being attacked or being singled out systematically, and I'm going to talk about that more in a, in, a, in a second. But I just wanted to you know, reiterate that we have Old Gods are now questionable as the reason for the corruption. Teldrassil is healed. Nordrassil is healed. So possibly that could have a connection to uh, immortality for the Nidals once again, because both trees now are up and well, and both trees obviously have the blessing of almost all of the Dragonflights. The only uh, Dragonflight that has not blessed Teldrassil has actually been uh, uh, the Blue Dragonflight, obviously, and the uh, Bronze Dragonflight has not blessed that tree where Darnassus is located, so that may be why we don't have uh, immortality for Nidals anymore, which I'm fine with, you know, fuck them. 
Aranakis, uh, who had been cured prior to the events in the book of his corruption, uh, is destroyed, he is slain, he sacrificed himself to save Ysera in the Emerald Dream, and he plays a major role in helping the Emerald Dream become purified and become cleansed again, so... Um, that pretty much does it for the story. Malfurion, at the end, very, very happy ending, marries Tyrande the Whisperer and finally decides that he's not going to be an asshole hiding away in the Emerald Dream anymore. He's actually going to, you know, go spend time with this woman. You know, he's going to go do what guys normally do, you know, when you run into a night elf chick, and that's, you know, a little tall but worth the climb, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that pretty much does it for the story. I know it was very sporadic and kind of, you know, lacking a lot of detail, but I, I don't want to spoil everything. I want you guys to read the book. It's really, really, really not bad. Read the book. Uh, the last thing I'm going to mention for about maybe two minutes is um, speculation. Now, we have a lot of shit going on in this book that a lot of people are going to see. We're going to see in the game when Cataclysm comes out, especially the results of events in this book, and we're going to be wondering why did this happen, and the answers are going to be in the book. Um, some speculation that I want to think about is, particularly, Brol is going to be the Archdruid. With uh, Fandral Staghelm out of the picture, there needs to be an Archdruid in charge of the Druids in Darnassus, somebody who can be a trainer, somebody who can play a lore role, somebody who can give out quests. That's going to be uh, Brol Bear Mantle, in my opinion, because... Uh, Malfurion Stormrage is going to be too busy helping the World Tree in Mount Hydral when Ragnaros comes out of his banishment in the Elemental Plane to assault that. So that's where he's going to be. Um, if there's an immortality connection with the trees, that may or may not happen. Like I said before, the Dragonflights are being targeted. I personally believe that um, Sargeras's return is imminent. After the events of Cataclysm, I believe the next and final expansion is going to be with Sargeras and the return of the Burning Legion and the reason that Azeroth is so important and why there's so many things going on with Azeroth and the Titans will be coming back to Azeroth and this big massive battle between the Pantheon and the Titans and Sargeras. And Sargeras has been trying to undermine as much as possible um, via the Old Gods, via anything at all possible that he can, the defenders of Azeroth, the Dragonflights particularly, um, we've noticed the blue dragon flight got essentially annihilated. The black dragon flight's out of commission. In the next patch that is coming out in the live uh, World of Warcraft game, we have the red dragon flight under attack by the black dragon flight. So that's another issue. We have the emerald nightmare hitting the green dragon flight. There ain't shit left. There ain't another color in the rainbow of dragon flight left. You know, of uh, the infinite dragon flight with the bronze, uh, with the bronze dragons that are in the, you know, in, in the caverns of time. You know, that's a major issue as well. So, um, the Emerald Dream, I believe, is going to be another raid content, zone content kind of release, such as Uldor was. It's going to be a big deal where perhaps they're just going to release an entire zone now that is instance. You take a portal, you get to this zone um, instead of just a raid. It may just be a raid, but at this point I'm not exactly sure. And that's where we're going to have a big how-to-do on the corruption with the Emerald Nightmare that little story arc, that's going to be very interesting how that's going to play out. Um, if that does not become a raid issue, if it just comes out as a zone that will open up to kind of give you hints and tidbits to the next expansion after Cataclysm, then I'm pretty goddamn sure that Queen Ashara and uh, Nazjatar, which were the Naga city under the water, is going to be the big deal boss as well as the old god that is down there. Uh, there have been files for this old god in the city and whatnot in the game since the beginning, way back in, in 2004, um, where it looks like a giant nautilus, like a giant shelled octopus with a massive city temple on top of his shell, 
And it just looks bad as hell. And um, hopefully that's going to be in as well. Uh, we're going to see satyrs coming back. We're going to see a lot of the other baddies and the other mobs and whatnot that were in Desolus. There were these out-of-the-way places that nobody fucking goes to anymore, you know, where, like, satyrs played a big role. Nobody cares about them anymore because you only ever really see them in such small areas. And, uh, like, Ashara or Desolus or whatnot, you see them there. It's kind of like a big deal, but, you know, and Felwood, of course. But uh, they're going to probably play a bigger role. We're going to see a lot of that sort of thing. Um, we're going to see what I believe is a culmination and conclusion of the infinite dragonflight as a result of these events. We're already narrowing down. We have the blue dragonflights we're taking care of. The red dragonflights are being taken care of now. Black dragonflights, obviously with death thing, is going to be a big deal. The uh, green dragonflight, another big deal, but with this book in particular and possibly some uh, patch content for Cataclysm. The infinite dragonflight is very, very interesting to me. I'm not going to go too much into that now because I'm pretty much done, but... It, it intrigues me because nobody really knows what they are. Maybe they are corrupted in the Twisting Nether. Maybe they're not corrupted. Maybe they're just an offshoot. Maybe it's another experiment by Deathwing. Who really knows? Maybe they're, you know, so far off in the future that they see how things are and so they're coming back to try to change the way things go. I don't know. It's just a lot that's going on with that. Hopefully for another time we'll talk about that on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed my rambling and my incessant, you know, yammering as I babble on about this uh, lore bullshit. Uh, enjoy the book. Please read the book. If not, as soon as somebody writes a better wiki than what I just said, read that. The book is worth picking up. It's really not that expensive. Just get the paperback. And um, hope you guys enjoy. Hello everyone, this is Vince from MassiveNerd.net, bringing you my weekly Mass Effect 2 squad member biography. Please note, these features do contain spoilers, so if you have not finished the game yet, now is the time to stop listening. This week's character is the Savage, the Krogan Berserker Grunt. Last week, we learned about the reasons for the Krogan Genophage. This week, we're going to see its effects on the Krogan species. As part of his mission, Shepard is sent to the planet Corlys by the Elusive Man in search of the Krogan warlord Okir. Okir is rare among the Krogan for his use of science and technology. While curing the genophage was his original goal, that is no longer Okir's purpose. Instead, he is creating tank-bred Krogan. If merely surviving birth is all it takes to become a real Krogan, then Okir feels the Krogan species as a whole is weakening. Instead, he would rather take his tank-bred Krogan, unconcerned with reproduction, and prove that only the strongest Krogan should survive. Okir is willing to do anything for his dream. He worked with the Collectors to obtain genetic information. He promised an army of Krogan to the Blue Sun mercenaries to secure funding. This is what led Okir to Corlys. He had become an outcast among the Krogan. In time, the Blue Sun's Captain Jador realized she had been played by Okir. He never intended to give her the army. The Blue Suns attacked, and Okir opened the tanks. Thousands of Krogan, deemed imperfect and rejected by Okir, were used as cannon fodder, all to protect his one true perfect specimen. When the battle reached its conclusion, Okir sacrificed himself to protect his perfect Krogan, entrusting the specimen to Shepard's care. If Shepard chooses to release the Krogan, he will have to demonstrate his strength in order to earn its service. The Krogan uses the name Grunt for himself. One of the last words in Okir's final message to the tank, Grunt feels it is perfectly descriptive of his purpose. 
Grunt truly is the perfect Krogan. Engineered from the genetic information of the Krogan's greatest warlords, imbued with the memories of great battles, and indoctrinated by Okir's philosophy, Grunt was bred to kill and is more than capable of the task. What Grunt lacks is direction, a purpose. He knows from the tank that he hates Turians and Salarians, but he doesn't know why. It is Shepard's responsibility to guide the young Krogan. Grunt is a terror on the battlefield, proving to be a worthy addition to the Normandy team. However, in time, he begins to grow restless. He becomes edgy and irritable, even by Krogan standards. When he's fighting, everything is fine, but when idle, he is overcome with increasingly violent urges. Fearing that this is some sort of illness, Shepard sets course for Tachunka, the Krogan homeworld. This begins Grunt's loyalty mission, Rite of Passage. Shepard and Grunt arrive on the war-torn planet and are given a cold greeting. Aliens are rarely permitted on the planet, and Grunt is seen as a lesser being, a dog that deserves to be put down. Shepard's reputation is the only thing that gets them an audience with the Krogan chieftain, usually Erdnot Rex, depending on the events of the first game. The chieftain explains that Grunt is not sick, he's merely coming of age. He needs to undertake the rite of passage to become a full adult. Of course, this is met with resistance from another clan leader, Gadatog Uvenk, stating that no tank-bred Krogan is worthy of the rite. Ultimately, the decision is up to Clan Erdnot's shaman. Shepard must get Uvenk to back down and talk the shaman into allowing Grunt to undertake the rite. The shaman explains that Grunt does not have to take the rite alone. He could bring his Krant, those that are sworn to fight in his honor. The mark of a true Krogan isn't birth or personal strength, but rather earning loyalty and respect. If a warrior cannot find anybody willing to fight and die for him, then he is no Krogan and unworthy of the rite. The rite itself is fairly straightforward. Grunt and Shepard are taken to an old, bombed-out Krogan city, demonstrating the height of Krogan's strength and a knowledge of what the species will return to in the future. Activating the Keystone gives a short speech about Krogan history and summons several waves of enemies, ending with a battle against a Thresher Maw. While it is only necessary to survive the Thresher, Grunt can become the first Krogan since Rex to actually kill one during the rite, earning four mating requests for Grunt and one for Shepard. After successfully completing the rite, Uvenk shows up and offers Grunt a place in his clan. Grunt may be tank-bred, but his strength is unquestionable, and he would be a great asset to Clan Gadatog. Grunt refuses. He was nothing more than a tool for Okir, and he will not be a tool for Gadatog. The dispute is settled the same way as all Krogan disagreements, with one party dead on the ground. With the rite completed and Uvenk defeated, Grunt has finally earned his place in Clan Erdnot. Among other things, this allows him to serve under a battlemaster. Grunt chooses Shepard as his battlemaster, saying, Shepard has no equal. Given a place, given a purpose, given a clan, Grunt now has direction in his life. He has a reason to fight and kill, and his outbursts are over. Grunt is easily one of the best characters in combat. He is the only character other than Shepard capable of carrying the Claymore shotgun. Unlike Jacob, Grunt excels at getting up close in combat. His fortification skill can double his armor, and his character-specific passive gives him a massive boost to health and regeneration. Grunt's near invulnerability makes him a popular choice for insanity difficulty. Grunt may not be as deep as some other characters. He is, after all, only a few days old. However, it is interesting to see his reactions to the events playing out before him. Without preconceptions or secondary loyalties, Grunt is the one member of the Normandy crew that will always give Shepard the truth, and the one that will always have his back. 
I kind of have a surprise for everybody. What's the surprise? You, okay, you guys ready for the surprise? Okay. Hold on a second. Hi. <laughs> the hell is that? Tart. That's a tart. Oh. What? <laughs> That's a tart. Where in your room, tied to the bed? <laughs> well, not tied. <laughs> All right, then. (laughs) How funny is that? All right. (laughs) So Seattle to Buffalo, just to see you, I find that highly unlikely. Uh, Well, you could ask her yourself. Is is there something we should know here? No. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is, I whatever it is, man, I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. It's just. I've got enough scarring after this weekend, bro. I don't think I can take any much more. <laughs> yeah, All right, then. Tarts and I have entered into an unholy union. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> All right, then. Does that come with lubrication or with any kind of straps of any kind? So you guys have a good weekend? Meh. Yeah. So far, so good. You've got nothing to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> There's that nervous, that nervous, fast giggle. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Tarta, I, I didn't realize you were that desperate. If so, we could have put a call out for, you know, a hobo in Seattle or something. I'm sure we could have found something better. I'm sad. I, I, I feel like I've let you down here. I could have, I don't know, some sort of junkie <laughs> um, that I could continually send him some junk so that he'd, he'd be with you. Something better. You don't actually expend any energy. You don't do anything. That's harsh. That's really harsh. That's, <laughs> he that's does. not cool. What's, he does. Nah, I, you know I, you know I don't mean cool. it. That's not cool. That's not cool. It takes a lot of energy to bend your elbow enough to get the glass of wine to your mouth. <laughs> all right? You'd be surprised. It, it doesn't just get there by itself. That was, that was what those I was going to uh, <laughs> those, those are called wine curls. You know, you do them for about an hour. Yep. You burn 100 calories. That's why I keep the glass full. So that I'm getting the <laughs> max amount of stress for each one. Hoogs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know my arse is plenty clean, okay? That's not an issue. He's got a bidet. I've got a hose hooked up to the faucet. And then I'll tell you what, you put that sucker on full blast, it'll clean you out. Oh my god, I would so love a bidet. <laughs> I would love for the toilet to wipe my ass for me with like nice warm water. That would be so cool. <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, for our 20th of the show, we have hit an all-time low. <laughs> Dude, don't even fucking, don't even come off like you don't want, it's like four in the morning, you're tired, you have a stomach ache, you don't want to wipe your own ass, you just want the thing to do it for you, and it does it for you. I, I, uh, I never really considered it that much work. Yeah, you know, because the, the toilet won't look at you. Really? How, you know? how, how many, how many wipes are we talking about here? Because like, you know, a couple is, does not constitute a lot of work. How long are you in there? How many rolls of toilet paper are you using up for dump? It's, I don't want to It's a Cuban tradition. I got to go in there and I can read, I can go through the whole Bible. That has nothing know, with, to do with the wiping of the ass no, no. though. That, that also it, doesn't have anything to do with being Cuban. That's just a guy thing. Guys have to have literature in a bathroom. Regardless yeah, but that, of that has fact, nothing however. to do with how many times you got to wipe. Exactly. You can read for an hour. That don't make your your shit smeary. Where's I don't see the <laughs> well, correlation that, oh, here. Yeah, that, that's probably because I got a hairy ass, you know. So it, it's it's harder to clean than the typical. Right, ass. I, Does it really get in there that much? 
Yeah, it's just fucking they terrible. Have, it's like you know those dogs them. that are walking around with like clingers and shit. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, after about an hour, it dries up, but then your asshole itches all day. But what about a brush? Can you get like a wire brush kind of thing, one of the soft ones that's not too like hard a, kind of thing, and just kind of you, give her, give her, give her some of that? You mean, you mean like the um, the really really soft Brillos? The Man, one, you know that? No, not the Brillo. The, the 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 stuff that you can like. I used to make wine, and you can get the stuff that has like the the flexible arm, and then you could like use that to clean because you can clean inside the bottle. And then you could use that. I mean, you'd have to disinfect that shit like every time, but still, I mean, that might help. Like, like an anteater. Oh my god, That's... you're killing me here. <laughs> And, and if you really needed to, that that'll even go inside too, because the bristles kind of fold down a little bit. That's how you get it through the whole the neck of the wine bottle. Oh, no, so then cool. you could there's, even like kind of just a little inside, and just to, to make sure that nothing's about to peek out and say hello, folks. No, I, I swear to God, I just clenched my ass when you said that. Just dude, no, that hurts. <laughs> uh, that that would be, that'd be too much. Like seriously, God, uh, uh. spit on it, and you might enjoy it. All right, I'm officially creeped out. Congratulations, <laughs> gentlemen. Thank you very much. Um, everything I've eaten for lunch or lunch and dinner tonight is going to be coming back up very shortly. That break is going to totally, be very fun. Totally ostracized our co-host, the audience, <laughs> everybody. Everybody's having these mental images of what my ass may or may not look like. Apparently, I can it's totally, a lot of hair. I can totally see the reviews now. <laughs> Seriously, like, we talking like. Long enough that you can like braid it, or are we just talking? Oh, no, like, yeah, very you see, thick. I, I was just I was about to say that. Are we talking length or you, thickness? I'm, no, no, length. I'm gonna braid my ass hair to my chest hair. That would be painful, though. Gonna, yeah, that's that's no, but that's gonna look awesome as shit. That's gonna be the newest thing. And then I'm gonna wear assless chaps. Cool. That's that is sweet. You'd look like an upside down dwarf, essentially, is what you're saying. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't let him fool you. He's got the assless chaps in regular rotation. <laughs> he lives in Miami. What, what else is he going to do late night when he's done with the podcast and his wife won't touch him? Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. You're a little too happy right now, Joe. Really, it's it's kind of creeping me you, out because Tart is not you typing. Go back into I'm just saying, Tart's not typing anything. It just, there's no conversations from Tarts, and here you are, like all happy. He's giggling. That, that can't possibly I'm, be good. Uh, yeah, you know? it's been a while though, so I would expect a certain amount of giggling. No, no, Dan, I, I'm not drunk. Not tonight. <laughs> yeah, he does. He doesn't want to wake up with a bunch of twit photos of his ass and fucking in the air and whatnot. With you know, Tart putting a thumbs up right next to him. Her thumbs in. <laughs> <laughs> Tart, leave him alone. Tart, tart. <laughs> God damn it, we got a podcast to do, woman. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Hello. <laughs> no, for Christ's sakes. Seriously. <sighs> Hello? Seriously, Joe, yeah. Tart, you are going to be the butt of all our jokes, pun intended. From here on out. But um bunch. Yeah. I guess we're talking about anal now. What? What the fuck is on your screen? <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what the shit is this? There's a there's a a, a a girl, I think that's a girl. <laughs> Only wearing a towel on the head with a towel on the chest. And there's a black hat jumps on the girl's head and she's trying to brush her teeth. Or it's a very effeminate male doing this as well. And like she's, her teeth. 
and there's a cat on the head. What the fuck? I'm gonna ask what the fuck's wrong with you, but I don't have time for the answer. Good lord. <laughs> where find like where do you find this shit? Really? The cat is trying to get down. Look at the cat is trying to get down. It's reaching for the dude's freaking shoulder. No, it's not. It's just hanging no, there. It's not. <laughs> I swear to God, if an animal tried to get on my head when I was brushing my teeth, I would, I would fucking kill it and eat it. You know, it sucks. It sucks the podcast people who not get to see majesty. You gotta find put this in there somewhere as a small video segment of just this video. Cat still on his fucking head. And then that shitty grin, that shitty grin that he's giving to the camera at the very end. What? The- All right. You know what? I think I gotta go. <laughs> This better be linked in the goddamn show notes, man. Uh, I just, I had to put it in there. Oh, God. Oh, no.